Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're at in your Bibles right now. So if you take those Bibles out, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we are going to go through all 13 verses of this chapter. It makes the most sense to do it that way this morning. We are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. For those of you that are been gone for a little while or joining us for the first time, the book of 1 Corinthians, and really it's an excellent book all about following Jesus in a fallen world. All about following Jesus in a fallen world. And would you agree with me that our world is fallen? Many years ago, the reformers started asking a question. And the question is this, that they were asking. What is a church? What is a church? What is a real church? And they began to develop theological answers to that question. And some of the theologians really narrowed in to discern three key items. Number one, this is what a church is, what a church does. First and foremost, it's where the word of God is preached fully in Christ's name. Number one, that is a church where, where the word of God is preached fully in Christ's name. Second, where the ordinances, Christ's ordinances are practiced regularly. And those are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are the reformers that came up with this many, many hundreds of years ago. And third, Church discipline is practiced. There you have a church. Those three things. Now, many of you are going to be fine with the ordinances and going to be fine with preaching God's word in the name of Christ. But some of you may be going, seriously? Church discipline is the third key? Well, it's the zeal behind the discipline that you need to understand. There's a far greater need for biblical zeal of holiness in our church, in our churches. The personal holiness of individuals in the church is important. The holiness of the local church. And we see this in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, and Quoted by Peter in 1 Peter 1.16, where God Almighty says to his people, Be holy, because I am holy. Be holy, because I am holy. But people who fear holiness, dislike holiness, I think they do from a kind of a deep-seated misunderstanding of what holiness really is. A deep-seated misunderstanding of the evil of sin, the beauty, the beauty of perfect goodness in Christ. Would you agree with me when you think about it, how attractive and how beautiful it would be to live in a world where nothing but holiness, goodness is abounding and no evil at all? Yeah. Sign me up for that one. And that actually stems, that desire stems from the 
very nature of God himself, who in 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. In Psalm 29, 2, give unto the Lord the glory due his name and worship the Lord, and listen to this, in the beauty of holiness. We sang that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is a beauty to holiness. Amen? But let's zero in into the context that we live. Tolerance, not holiness. Let's talk about that context that we live in here in the United States, American Christians. The prevailing spirit in our culture today is one of what's known as relativism, tolerance of sin. In this post-Christian era, there is an absolute uncertainty, catch this, an absolute uncertainty about absolute truth. And when that is growing and billowing over, you end up with statements like Pilate. What is truth? But you don't wait for the answer because truth in our culture is relative to your perspective on whatever you stand on. That's what truth is for you. And we also have this radical individualism where every person is an island. Mutual accountability, forget that. Covenant faithfulness, ah, no way. That's avoided. And, And here's the deal, everyone. Churches have accommodated themselves to that liberalism to that liberalism of our society, theologically and socially, accepting more and more junk, getting rid of any discipline within the church. I find it interesting that one commentator 400 years ago said this about the disease of sin in church. This is not a new statement. When discipline, discipline leaves, Christ goes with it. When church discipline leaves, Christ goes with it. And we have to address it. When we allow sin to spread unchecked in our church, you will be begging for disaster. The church loses all its power. It does. Sinners are no longer converted because there's no reason to be converted. Professing Christians are going to be in constant danger of backsliding. Nothing is going to be done to check it because there's no discipline. The end result is that churches end up not much different than the world. Just the same, it's just a club that sings a bunch of cool music. Thus our text for this morning, because Paul zeroes right in on this with this church in Corinth and deals with it. But I think first we need to remember that Christ gave us clear steps for dealing with sin among us. 
in Matthew 18, Christ said, if, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, then treat him as if you would a pagan, or I love this, a tax collector. That's Jesus' words. The other section that is well known is right here dealing with sin in church. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And the, the context here is that there's this scandalous sin that's occurring with a person in the body of Christ. It's a sin, Paul says, that would make all of the pagan Corinth area sit up, take notice, and gossip about the Christians in their city. Paul himself is shocked by it. So let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 and 2, and we need to understand that we need to be mourning over sin. Paul says it this way, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and sexual immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become puffed up and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. So Paul's clear, and He's even clearer in the next chapter, in chapter 6, about the danger of sexual immorality and that sexual immorality is a sin. And the Bible defines what sexual immorality is. We'll deal with that more later. But it's serious. And Paul says that the kind of thing going on here would even make the pagans shocked. The pagans go, this is wicked. And they're not Christians. People are talking about it. it it's, it's known. The gossip is spreading. And even worse, the church in Corinth is responding with pride. You know, it says you're puffed up. You're proud in some of your translations. And... If you've been with us at all, you know that this church has a problem with that. They're puffed up with all types of stuff. They are the ultimate stay puff marshmallow man. They're arrogant. They're prideful. I was taught by Paul. I was taught by Apollos. I, we're better than the others. And, and this, we can handle sexual sin and be okay with it. They're proud of their gifts. They're proud of speaking in tongues and prophecies and other things. They're proud of their status. And what does Paul say? He says, you know what? You're, you're proud when you should be mourning. And the word that's used there is the word that is used in the original language that people did. They mourned over the dead. That's the picture here. So sometimes the English doesn't give the right picture for us of what that mourning is. This is a deep mourning 
over someone that you love who has passed away. And that's what Paul is saying here. A personal sorrow that is so deep. That's what should be happening. But no, this church was puffed up. They were boasting of the fact that their church was so open-minded that even fornicators could be members in good standing. Now, you need to understand that this sin that is explained here was condemned by Old Testament law as well as the law of the Gentile nations. And Paul is telling the church, even the unsaved people don't do this. Yuck. And the Christian life needs to be a festival and a feast, right? We're, we're celebrating life and we, we gather around the Lord's banquet table and we, we celebrate life found in Him. But there are times when it needs to be a funeral as well, is what Paul is saying here. Whenever a Christian brother or sister sins, it is time for the family to mourn and to seek to help the fallen believer. You know, that's what Jesus said, right? Go to them. And, and if, they, if they change course, they repent. You, you've won a brother. Right? Those words in Matthew 18. And Paul's echoing this here. He, he's saying, it's time to mourn. The offending brother in Corinth was quote-unquote dead as far as the things of the Lord were concerned. He, he was out of fellowship with, with Christ and with those in the church who are supposed to be living separated lives. And what Paul says then is, is you've got, you got to do something, and this is what our world does not like to hear. He says, you've got to judge this. You've got to judge this sin. Look at verse 3. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan... For the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, some of you will go, okay, I know the Bible well enough to know that it says in Matthew 7, Jesus says, do not judge, lest you be judged. Yeah, we're not judging motives here. We're not judging the ministry of a fellow believer. What we're doing is what Paul has called us to do is to expect people to live holy lives who are Christians. And to be honest about each other's conduct. And what Paul's describing here is kind of interesting. It's an official church meeting that needs to happen in which the 
Fender is dealt with according to divine instructions. Public sin has to be dealt with what? Publicly. And I know people don't like hearing that. But sin can't be swept under the rug. This was known far and wide among the unsaved who weren't even in the church. And the church is to gather here and to expel the offender. And these are super strong words, everyone. I kind of hope I'm making people feel uncomfortable. Because Paul was making people feel uncomfortable. You get that? Paul is making them feel uncomfortable. He's using very strong words. They need to be taken away from among you in 1 Corinthians 5.2. Deliver such a one to Satan? What? Purge? In verse 7. Put away? In verse 13. It's, It's not a gentle thing. But of course we assume that the spiritual leaders, first of all, sought to restore the person personally according to Christ's plan, right? But it wasn't working. Or they didn't do it. All of this is to be done by the authority of who? Not the church leaders, but Jesus. In His name. And not the authority of the local church. Next week, we've got seven people that are going to come up here and say, hey, maybe, we'll see after the sermon. Uh, I, I'm, I'm all in in membership. Seven, isn't that awesome? Seven new members. And one of the things we've got to understand is that church membership is serious. It's a serious thing. It is not a careless thing. It's not something to be treated lightly. It's serious for the fellowship, for the Frisbees that's going to go down the freeway here with the pizza and we've added some dirt and leaves for the toppings. But it's joyful, but it's also serious. It's serious. So the question then comes when we've read this verse, What does it mean to deliver a Christian to Satan? Like, yuck. That's that's bad. So first of all, it does not mean to deprive of salvation. Just so you know. None of the leadership around here believes that we grant salvation to anyone. That is the job of God. God is sovereign. It is not the church that grants salvation to anyone. 
and just so you know, if you come from a Catholic church background, they would disagree with that. They would say, no, the church grants salvation. Nowhere in the Bible does it even come close to saying that. God and God alone grant salvation. When a Christian is in fellowship with the Lord and with the local church, here's how we're going to explain this, that Christian enjoys special protection from Satan. Hopefully, when people are around other believers, you go, Ah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Special protection. The, the world can do whatever it wants to do to us, but I'm with my brothers and sisters, and Christ's blood is thicker than anything that man can ever cre- create. But when you are out of fellowship with God and you are cast out from the local church, you're fair game to the enemy. Physically. See, God will permit Satan to attack the offender's body so that the sinning believer would repent and return to the Lord. You cast out only to hope and pray that people repent to return. And that's the idea that continues here in the purging of sin, starting in verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, also was sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you to not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, not to even eat with such as one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Are you not to judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God will judge. Capital letters. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. (laughs) It's it's Paul-like highlighting, circling, triple underlining. Do you get the point? The image here that he's using is the Passover supper. 
Jesus is the Lamb of God who shed his blood to deliver us from sin. The the Jewish people in Egypt were delivered from death by the application of the blood of the Lamb. Following the application of the blood, the Jewish families ate the Passover supper. One of the requirements was that no yeast, no leaven, be found anywhere in the dwellings. Not even just the bread, nowhere in the dwellings. Leaven is a picture of sin. Sin can be, it's just a tiny sin. It's a tiny sin no one will ever know, right? It's small but powerful. It works secretly. It puffs up the dough. It spreads And the sinning church member in Corinth was like that piece of yeast. He was defiling the entire loaf, the entire congregation. It's like a cancer in the body that had to be removed by a drastic surgery. The church has to purge itself of the old leaven, the things that belong to the old life before we trusted Christ. We must also, we got to get rid of malice and wickedness. And there was a great deal of hard feelings between members in this church. And we got to replace it with something. What do we replace it with? Sincerity and truth. As a loaf of bread, the local church needs to be as pure as possible. Now, It's interesting here. Paul says, now, let's be real. You can just totally see Paul say this. Our job is not to judge those outside of our church. That judgment belongs to who? God. Paul emphasizes that. He says, now, we're supposed to be separated. We're not supposed to be isolated. We're supposed to be separated. It's that picture of we go out these doors and what do we do? We go into the world and share the gospel. Be the light of the world. We're different. When we come in here, when we come into the presence of Christ as the body, the church, we are different. We have to be. And as it says here, if a professing Christian is guilty of the sins named here, the church has got to deal with it. Individual members were not to do what? Even have company with them. They weren't to eat with him, which could refer to private hospitality or even public observance of the Lord's Supper together, whatever it is. And I will will admit something. I know there are probably people in here that go, I've been at a church before that's done church discipline with someone, and I don't like it. I hope you don't. Why would we ever like that? 
It's not easy. It's not popular. It's not fun. What does Paul tell us? We're supposed to mourn like someone has died. It's that important though. And if it's not done properly, if it's not done with the intent of hoping and praying that a person repents and turns from sin and says, hey, I, I, I am living a different life now. I am living the way God has called me to live. I'm living a holy life. What is the church called to do? Restore. There is an ending to this story. Did you know that? You have to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-11 through 11 indicates that this man repented and was restored to fellowship. That's pretty cool. Follow God's word in God's ways and God works in marvelous miracles in people's lives. You see, the applications of this are, are pretty simple. First of all, everyone in this room, above all things, we need to be glorifying God. The top purpose for everything in the Christian life is always the same, the glory of God. And so we as the local church much must practice biblical church discipline for the glory of God. We want to put God on display in this world. We want to shine like a light up on a stand as it says in scripture. We want to be a city on a hill. That is not a Ronald Reagan term. He stole that from the Bible. We want to put the glory of God on display. And if we don't discipline ourselves, if we don't do church discipline, we will not glorify God. We want to put His attributes on display in our lives, right? Amen? Well, that requires us to put on display His justice, His mercy, His wrath, His grace, His patience. And we want those attributes on display in a church that tolerates sin doesn't glorify God. Because then we're not calling people to repentance. We're not calling people to a new life. We're just telling them, just keep doing what you're doing and it doesn't matter. I tell you the truth, when people come into this room in this day and age, they do not come in this room. If they're not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, I guarantee you, you did not come in this room just because you wanted to kind of feel good. You came in this room because you knew what was going on out there in your life wasn't working. It was leaven. And it was spreading to every part of your body. And you've tried everything. You've tried everything to stamp it down. And instead you have turned to God and said, God, I, I need some help. 
How dare a church not teach the Word of God? Because only God's Word explains how to accept Christ, cast sins onto Him, let Him clean you, let Him restore you, let Him pick you up, and let Him put you on the hill, and you shine new because you are a new person. How dare us not teach that? Because that's the hope people are looking for. Because all this other junk doesn't work. Paul said, hand this man over to Satan so that his flesh could be destroyed, but his spirit saved. The desire here, everyone, in Scripture is the salvation of every individual. And may I say, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. I get that. Let the evil man his thoughts. I get that. But let's let people turn to the Lord. We share the gospel so that people can understand that God will have mercy on him. And God will pardon. And we need to say those things to people. We need to say to people, we need to look people in the eye and mean this with all our heart. I want you to be saved. I want you to give up that sin. I want you to turn away from that wickedness while there's still time. We are called to plead. We are not called to be passive. We are called to plead for the salvation of the individual. I hope and pray that all of us care enough about people that we do not want one person in this world to hear those dreadful words, I do not know you. That Jesus says, to many. While there's still time, don't just turn to Christ. Run to Him. Third thing, the purity of the church is important. Even if the individual never repents, Good is still done by church discipline because the church needs to be protected from the metastasizing tumor of sin. Needs to be protected from the evil yeast spreading through the group. The idea, the logic is, if you don't address it, it's going to spread. And church history has borne this out. Churches that get weak on church discipline start having the problem multiplying in their church. And so for the purity of the church, you have to practice biblical church discipline because, fourthly, the restoration of the unity of the church is important. Sin divides. It rips up. And for the sake of the unity of the church, sin has to be addressed. The church has to come together and agree again to a pattern of holiness. And it is not Pastor Scott's definition of holiness. 
It is God's definition. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to hold out the word of truth. And as we shine like stars in the universe, Paul says this in Philippians, shine and hold out a pure gospel. And we need that in the rep- as a reputation in this community, as a church that is committed to biblical holiness. Are we a church that is committed to biblical holiness. Amen? Why? So that the glory of God, the salvation of the sinning individual, the purity of the church, the restoration of the unity within the church, the reputation of the Lord of the church in this community, those motives are important so that we will shine the gospel. And for everyone in this room, a word of comfort. Are you struggling with sin? Do you have a friend or a family member who has drifted from the Lord, who has never even accepted the Lord? Do you worry that your sin is too great for God to forgive? Then right now, Run to Christ. Run to Christ. Confess and turn from your sins. Believe in Jesus crucified, dead, buried, risen, and exalted. Come to the cross. In the cross alone, you will find healing, forgiveness, restoration, and grace. God is greater, more extensive, and more powerful than any sin. Come to Jesus. And let's get disciplined together to glorify Him. Amen?